This is a reading from Romans 6, 1 through 14. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right, so as you can see, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 6. We're starting a new uh, series today. Um, we, did, we did a series of Romans 1 through 3, then we did a series of Romans 4 and 5. We're going to start with Romans uh, 6 and go all the way to chapter 8. Um, what we're, we're doing right now, this series we're going to call The Battle. The reason we're going to call it The Battle is because I don't know if you know this or not, if you've tried walking with Jesus, uh, sometimes it's hard, Yeah. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you feel like it's a fight. And the scripture actually declares it to be as such. But guess what? The scripture also gives you weapons so that you can be successful in that battle. And we're going to look at the first one today. The scripture today talks about union with Christ, being united to Christ. And union with Christ, it frees you from the dominion of sin. And allows you to live for God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand this scripture. Lord God, not just understand it, but let it change us. And help, help it to, to, to produce obedience in our hearts. Lord, I pray that anything that I plan to say that's not helpful, I wouldn't. And that if something I haven't planned would be helpful, would you give me grace to say it? In Jesus' name, amen. So you see in verse 1. Verse 1 starts with a question. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? In other words, it's saying since grace is true, because we understand that God forgives sin, because he has sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, we understand that our sins can be covered. And because that's true, maybe it doesn't matter if we sin anymore. 
Now, I don't know if you've heard this argument explicitly or implicitly, but some teach and act like sin is small because of grace. You might hear somebody say, it's okay. It's okay if we do this or that because, you know, God will forgive me. It's okay. It don't matter. It's okay. You know, just once you're done, just ask for forgiveness. It's cool. Or you might hear somebody say, well, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me because I'm under grace. I know, I know I'm about to go this, do this or that, and I know that God says I shouldn't do this or that, but don't, you can't judge me because I'm under grace now. See, listen, th- this is countering the idea that committing more sin means you experience more grace. See, the logic goes, if, if God's response to our sin is his grace, is his forgiveness, then should we sin more so that we can experience more grace? The answer is clear. Absolutely not. Listen, I remember I, I had a, a roommate in college, and sometimes we, we'd wake up and we would ask each other this question. We'd wait one of us to go, should we sin that grace may abound? And the other would go, no. <laughs> we said some other stuff, too. We might have said it how we answered it. But <laughs> we was like, no, we ain't going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Because grace is too good to be used like that. Mm. We have been united with Christ. Look at verse 2. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in the newness of life. Now, every person who gets baptized in our church, I walk them through the scriptures. I want to break it down. Can I break it down? Can we break it down? I'm going to break it down. Listen, baptism is a symbol, a symbol of union with Christ. Now, listen, we all use symbols. Symbols have deep meanings. You know, I have this ring on my finger. It's a symbol that I'm in a covenant with my wife. There's a, we have flags that have meaning and symbol. Even bumper stickers have meaning and symbol. And if you wonder if meanings and symbols are important, just ask yourselves what happens if somebody desecrates a symbol. So, so, so if you have served the country in the military and you see somebody burning the flag, how are you going to feel? Now, they ain't going to say, you can't say it was just a symbol. No, no, it's not just a symbol. I can't walk into my house without my ring on and my wife go, what you doing? I'm like, oh, it's just a symbol. No, it ain't no. It ain't, ain't no just a symbol. The symbol has deep meaning. And though it's not the same thing as what it represents, it is intimately connected. In fact, in fact, when somebody is acting crazy, acting crazy towards a symbol, you might question their fidelity to what it represents. So if somebody is wearing a ring but going around cheating, you'd be like, well, the ring don't really, you're not, that's not what it's about. Like, you're not living like the symbol. See, the symbol, listen, it's not just, it's not merely a symbol. It's not just a thing to do. The symbol is intimately related to the reality. Meaning this, that if you are going to wear a symbol, you better know what it's for. If you're going to wear a symbol, you better actually live a life that corresponds to the symbol. Or else you're a hypocrite. So when folks walk around wearing a cross and acting like Satan, 
you need to go, well, that symbol does not match your life. The scripture says that we've been baptized into his death. Like, what, what does that mean? Now, have you ever seen a, a baptism at the church? You, you can see the picture. When somebody's baptized, what happened? They go down and they go up. So when we say the going down actually represents that, that we have died in Christ and Christ has died for us. You're like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that Christ has died for us? The first thing is that it shows us something about his atonement. Christ didn't die because of something he did wrong. Christ didn't die because he just felt like dying that day. Christ died because our sins were, they were owed a penalty and a consequence. Now you understand this. If somebody crosses you, your gut reaction is going to be what? Crossing you. And what, what people say, well, they got what's coming to them. Listen, because of our sin, what's coming to us is death. Because of our sin, what's coming to us is God's wrath. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus so that when he died, he is dying in our place. It's as if I had a, had a, had a prison sentence and, and somebody said, though I did not commit his crime, I care for him enough that I will go ahead and take his time for him. And you would say, that's crazy. That's how you can understand the cross. That Jesus would take what is due to us in his own body, in his own death. Not only this, y'all, it says that the idea is not that only Christ died for us, but we died in Christ. Meaning this, when, when someone is baptized, it is signifying that the old life is dead. The going down into the water is signifying that just as Christ died, I too have died. And the old ways that used to characterize my life don't characterize my life anymore. Now listen, here's, here's some good news too. That's good news actually, but even better news. Not only have we been baptized into his death, this scripture points to the fact that we've been baptized into his resurrection. Right? So listen, listen, it says, what did it say? It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Listen, y'all, Christ rose from the, when you think about Christ rising again, I want you to think, of, think about it from uh, the, the perspective of those around him. So when he was hanging on that cross as a public spectacle, as a, as a public execution, everybody could walk around him going, well, what in the world did he do? He must be a criminal. He's up there on the cross. He must have done something wrong. He must have transgressed the law because he's up there suffering for it. And God's resurrection of Christ is Christ's vindication. It's like, though you might have thought I've been on the cross because of something that I have done, God has raised Christ from the dead so that it is clear that Christ was not guilty but innocent. And his resurrection is his vindication. They might have said, well, what did he do? I can't imagine. what." Listen, he didn't do anything. He was innocent. And as a proof, God raised him from the dead. Now, what does that have to do with you? Listen, we have been united to his resurrection if you are in Christ. Listen, so all those things that are true about your sin, they've been put on Christ. And all those things that are true about his righteousness has been put on you. In Christ's vindication. We are vindicated. In Christ's declaration of his innocence, we are declared innocent for those who have been baptized into him. 
then it says we not only did Christ rise for us, but we rose with Christ. What does it say? It says, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. What is that representing? It's representing the new birth. The old life is gone and there's a new one in its place. There was a time where I didn't care that much about Jesus, when I didn't care that much about scripture, I didn't care that much about righteousness or doing things that would serve other people. I didn't care, but there became a day when I did, when he made me new. And that is what baptism is representing. That just as Christ has new life and you can see it, it's observable. He was dead and then he wasn't. In the same way, you have been dead, but you have been risen from the dead spiritually with Christ. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. And you can't tell me that the symbol don't that got nothing to do with the reality. The symbol itself is packed with meaning. So it is a serious thing to say that we have been baptized into Christ. Now, the scripture continues with all these, these different aspects of, of this union with Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, for if we have been united with him... And the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. I'm going to say that again. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. So not only does, does the apostle say that, that we have, have been uh, uh, baptized into Christ, he says that we have been crucified with Christ. Now that gets really confusing because was you there? No, we, no I wasn't there, right? Like, like, what, is he, what is he talking about? What do you mean? I wasn't born yet. How in the world is his, what does his crucifixion have to do with me? See, we got to understand something about, about corporate union. That might be a fancy word, but let me, let me tell you, like, listen, listen. If the president declares war against an, another nation, guess who in the war? We are. <laughs> you like, I wasn't there. I didn't. Say, well, you, you were part of the thing, ain't you? Right? If you are, are head of a family, you incur debt. Who, guess who got debt? The family got it. Yeah? So, so, so this union with Christ means that Christ can make these decisions and have these experiences. And because we're unified with him, what has happened to him also counts for us. As, as your representative, his actions can count for you. His crucifixion counts for us. What does that mean? It means that sin does not have to have dominating power over your life. Okay, look, 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 look. There's no more power for guilt. So one of, the, one of the ways that sin controls you is that you feel this overwhelming guilt. And when you feel this overwhelming guilt, it makes you want to stay away from the things of God. And I, like, I know this to be true because when I go around and talk to people in the community, I'll be like, yo, you want to come to church? And th what they'll say to me is, I will come when I get myself right, whatever that means in their mind. What, what, what the idea is that this guilt that overwhelms you because of your own sin, it makes you back away from God. But listen, if you were in Christ, where is your guilt? Your guilt is nailed to the cross because what Christ did counts for you. 
not only is guilt done away with, but temptation doesn't have the same power. You ever tried to tempt somebody who was dead? Did it work? Did you stir up desire in them? No, because they did. (laughs) The fact that we have been crucified with Christ means that sin does not have overpowering domination in our lives. The power of temptation is broken. There is a time when temptation comes knocking. I'm just I'm going to answer the door. I don't got no choice. That's just what sinners do. But, beloved, if you have been put in Christ, if you've been united to Christ, sin can come knocking. You can say, no, that part of me is dead because of what Christ did. That part, I I, I don't have to have a part in that because that part of me that would have loved that, I can say, man, it has died. Listen, and then he says something interesting in verse 7. He says, since a person who has died is freed from sin. What is, he, what is he talking about? What is, a person who has died is free. What is he talking about? That word freed, in the original language, it can be translated either freed or justified. So you could, you could read it since the person who has been justified is free for sin. What does that mean? You got to understand something of the sin cycle. This is, this is how sin operates. Now, it looks different for every single one of us, but this is how it operates. You, you feel like you, you get tempted to do something that you know is wrong, right? And then you do it. And then after you do it, you feel guilty. And because you feel guilty, you're like, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I want to feel better. But because you feel guilty, you don't want to run to God. And so you go, well, what can make me feel better? Well, sin in the moment makes you feel better, yeah? So at that moment, you go back to the very thing that caused the guilt in the first place because you're looking for some relief. And then what happens then? Then later you feel guilty. And then you want to have some sort of release, some sort of pleasure. And instead of going to God because you're guilty, you go back to the sin. That is the sin cycle. And in Christ, that cycle is broken. Because the moment that you feel guilt, you can remember that your sins have been placed on the cross with Christ. And you don't have to go looking for pleasure somewhere else. You don't have to go looking for satisfaction. You don't have to go looking for life anywhere else. But you can find it right where he is. And he breaks that cycle. Beloved, these promises are for those who have been baptized into Christ. Not only that, in verse 8, he talks about how we get to live in this new resurrection life. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He makes a really simple point. He's saying, listen, Christ will not die again. He ain't about to die again. He in heaven. He not dying again. Christ will not die again. Therefore, you don't have to go back to the lifestyle of sin. Right? Because he's your representative. Because what he has done has counted for you. And so you don't have to go back to the same thing because he ain't going back. You don't have to go back to the life of sin because he ain't about to go back up in that grave. Well, see, listen, listen, he opens up a door and he also uh, creates an anchor so that you will stay in him. He died once and for all so the chains of sin would be broken once and for all. Then it goes on to say that Christ lives before the presence of God continually. He's like, where is Christ? He's in the presence of God. Therefore, because he is there, therefore, we have continual access to God. 
There's not a moment in your life if you are in Christ where the father would turn his face away from you because Christ is there. And because Christ is there and you are in him, you have the same access as he does. Not a moment where he would turn away from you. Then he says something interesting. In verse 11, he says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin. What is he talking about there? He says, we have to have faith and consider the things that God says to be true. Listen, listen, listen to me carefully. Our faith determines the degree that we experience these results. I'm going to say it again. Our faith determines the degree to which we experience the blessings in Christ. And I'll make it simple. I'll make it plain. Let's, let's, say, let's say, you know, we, I grew up in a family. Let's say we was always in debt. Now, let's, let's just say that, that the debt was canceled, but I didn't know. And I go up in the store, and I'm looking at all the things that I feel like I can't buy. Now, the, the truth is the debt was canceled, but I don't know. So I'm like, oh, that's nice. I can't get that. Oh, that's nice. I can't get that either. Man, suppose somebody told me the good news. Hey, you don't got no debt no more. I'm rolling up to the store happy. Right? <laughs> but here's the deal. The facts didn't change. Only my knowledge of the facts changed. Yeah? Uh, imagine, imagine you're uh, in, in a country that's at war with a different country. And like you, you might be on edge. Suppose they, they might invade you at any, any given time. Now, suppose a, a peace agreement has been reached, but you don't know it yet. The peace agreement has reached, but you still walking around looking up in the air like, is the bomb going to drop today? You walking around in fear but because but, you don't know the truth and the reality of what has happened, that there's a truce and there's peace. Beloved, if we don't believe what has been given to us in Christ, we will not live like it's true, even though it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, so consider, con- consider that when you feel guilty, consider in your mind that Christ died on the cross. Consider when you feel tempted and you feel like it's overpower you. Consider that Christ has been risen from the dead and that same power that rose him from the dead lives in you. Consider these things to be so, so that you can experience the reality of the promises that have been given to you. Beloved, we have to live like our union with Christ is reality. Because we can trip around and live in bondage when the facts are we don't have to be. And our understanding and our faith in that truth doesn't change the truth, but it certainly changes our experience of those things. In verse 12, we can, we can see him saying we, we strive to live like Christ through our action. Look at verse 12. Therefore, because of, why, what is it therefore? Because of all the stuff that was just said, all that stuff we just preached through, okay? Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer your parts. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of righteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Listen, because of the truth about our union with Christ, we do not need to go back to sinful ways. He said, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, is he saying have sinless perfection from the other parts of the scripture? I know that's not true. But reign, reign, that's like full unchallenged authority. Reign means it controls every aspect of your being. And he's saying that reign, that reign is over. There might still be a battle, but he ain't no dictator anymore. 
He can't just control everything that you do. He's saying you have authority to fight back because sin does not have a war. Now, one of the things I notice about walking around the neighborhood is uh, folks just like to put no trespassing signs up. That's just that's our welcome, welcome mat out here in these streets. OK, now, why is out there? So if you roll up in the yard, think about, did, did you not see that? I told you don't come up in here. Listen, beloved, that's how we act towards sin. No, nah, no, nah, Jesus put a no trespassing sign over here. Get, get your behind out of here. Did you not see the sign? Did you not see the symbol of the water? Do you not remember the blood that was spilled? Now, nah, get up out of here. Beloved, we have to live like these things are true. Not only that, he says, we will find ourselves fighting on the wrong side if we go back to a lifestyle of sin. Why would we side with the party that caused us so much pain? That's why, like, it goes all the way back to the first question. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? It's like sin is what got your butt in, 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 like, the messed up place in the first place. Why are you going to go back? That don't, that don't make no kind of sense. You've been freed, then you're going to go fight with the oppressor? How in the world does that make? It don't make no kind of sense. No, beloved, we have something different. See, listen, we have to fight for God through presenting our minds and actions to God as an act of worship. You want to fight against sin? It's not simply don't do this, but it's what, what do we do? How do we pursue God? How do we offer up our lives as living sacrifices to him? See, see, Christ has won the war. We might be in some skirmishes, but Christ has won it. And if you know you won the war, it changes the way you fight. You can fight sin with confidence because Christ has defeated it. We almost done. Look at verse 14. Grace has given us a new status and a new experience. It says, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Again, he's saying because you've been united to Christ, everything has changed. Before Christ comes up in your life, sin is the dictator, the ruler, the oppressor, the slave master. That's what sin is. You can't and sometimes you don't even want to oppose sin. Not only is, is sin's power your constant companion, but so is condemnation. That everywhere you move, if you don't have Christ, guilt and shame are constant companions. Now, you try to do stuff to drown it out, but guilt and shame just walk on behind you wherever you go like your shadow. But he's saying, nah, that reign is over. That way of living is over. Because under grace, sin no longer reigns. He's saying sin might have been your master, but when you have been united to Christ, he is the master. He is the king, and his reign is generous. He doesn't oppress you. He doesn't heap on guilt and shame on you, but he gives you freedom from sin and full acceptance into God's kingdom. Beloved, this is the reality of those who have been purchased by Christ. You don't have to live under the chains of slavery to sin. So what does this mean? What do we do about it? I think it's pretty clear that baptism is, is implied in this passage. Yeah, he said, he said it, right? Baptism is a symbol of new birth, a new life. It's a symbol of salvation. Now, do symbols not matter? If, if you start burning flags, you feel like somebody's going to get kind of salty? Right. Do symbols matter? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Symbols matter. Right. 
Now, if I start to take a symbol and I don't, I don't live with the reality, is that, is that an issue? If somebody got the wedding ring on but trifling, is that an issue? Yes. You're like, you're not living like you said it's true. That, listen, listen. This is not simply a picture, but a powerful reminder of what Christ has done. And so the question when you think about baptism, it's not just have you been baptized, it's have you experienced the substance of the symbol? Have you experienced the reality of what the symbol is talking about? Because if you haven't experienced new life with Christ, then you just went swimming. You can go swimming anywhere. You don't need no pastor to bless that. But the question is, if you, have you experienced the substance of what it means? This is not about the time of birth, but rather the evidence of life. I'm not talking about, was there a day when you went down the out? No, 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 listen. If you look at something, can you tell if it's dead or alive? Yeah. I mean, even if you got to poke it, you poke it. It ain't, it ain't moving. I guess it's dead. So, so the question is, if you say, I have been made alive with Christ, can I look at your life and say, oh, what well, that look like is true. You're like, well, what does that look like? Do I care about sin? Does temptation bother me? Do I live in guilt and shame? When people are talking about God, is there any affection in my heart? Do I care? Listen, if you don't care, you dead. That, that's the reality. And if you dead, you can be made alive in Christ. You can cry out to Christ, say, Lord, I, I don't just, I, I want to experience the symbol, but not just, I, I want to experience the reality of the symbol. Because if I wear the symbol and I don't live in the reality, I'm a hypocrite. I want to experience the reality of it. And so, beloved, the question of have you, has you, have you been baptized is not, did you get wet one time? The question is, have you been made new? Beloved, that's the question that you have to ask yourself. And if that is true, then the next step is you present your members, you present your body for righteousness. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to do a presentation. You ever had to do a presentation? Like one time or another, right? You know, you got up and said some stuff. I mean, I guess I'm kind of giving one right now. Now, did I have to prepare? You could probably tell if I didn't prepare, yeah? You'd be like, what is this fool talking about? You might be thinking that now. I don't know. But anyway, you like, you're like, what is, he, ain't, he ain't studied nothing. He up there talking. Now, listen, the idea is if you're going to present something, you have to prepare. So, listen, are you just going to accidentally one day be righteous in your conduct? No, not if you didn't prepare. Some of y'all looking at your life like, why well, ain't righteous? Well, you, you ain't study. <laughs> you try to take a test and you ain't even read the book. <laughs> So listen, how, how do we prepare? How, what, do we, what do we do? We have to prepare to present ourselves. Beloved, that means that we give ourselves over to spiritual disciplines. We highlight four. These are the beginner ones. We get in Scripture daily. We pray daily. We fellowship regularly, and we serve others. Beloved, that is how you prepare to present, through the Word of God, through prayer, fellowship, and service. So, beloved, if you have been united to Christ. Beloved, all of the benefits that this passage is talking about are yours. And if you have not, the opportunity to pursue that is right here. That if you will call out to Christ and you will go over the, these realities, Lord, I want to care. I don't really care that much. Can you help me care? Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I don't really, I heard about you, but I don't know you. Help me to know you. Lord, Lord, I want to be dead to the old life. Lord, I, I, I want to experience the newness of life. Beloved, he is a good, good father, and he will listen to you 
when you ask. And so if you haven't been united to Christ, beloved, ask him now. And by the spirit, he will make you alive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage, for your word. That we have a, a savior who when, when he, he makes promises to us, he fulfills them. That he gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us new life. Lord, he gives us the opportunity to do what's right. He gives us the opportunity to live with a free and good conscience. Lord, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice would experience the substance of that reality. That they wouldn't just see it. They wouldn't just hear about it, but that they would live in the reality of it. Lord, I'm asking that you would save people today. And Lord, those who have been united to you, Lord, would you remind them of all the good and glorious blessings that you have given to them in Christ. Lord, we ask you to do this work for the glory of the Father, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.